You're listening to The Razor's Edge, an investing podcast. Your hosts are Akram's Razor, an investor, trader, short seller, and deep dive researcher for the last two decades plus, and me, Daniel Schwartzman, who's worked in investing media the last decade while managing my own stocks. We break down investing themes or ideas and speak with expert guests to get a wider understanding of a given topic. To get episodes of The Razor's Edge, Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance, or share this show with a friend. Reach us on Twitter at at Daniel Shortman or at Akram's Razor. You can subscribe to Akram's The Razor's Edge newsletter at the-razors-edge.ghost.io. The link is in Akram's Twitter profile. Here's our disclosure. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, or to our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. We'll disclose any positions and any stocks discussed in the introduction to a given episode. On this week's The Razor's Edge, we talk about the bear market. It's here. It's real. So now what? Neither Akram nor I feel especially apocalyptic about the current moment, so we explain why not. We talk about what green shoots there are on the supply side, what risks there are on the demand side, how the current bear market echoes the last one from March 2020 or not, how much crypto contagion worries us, and why it's tricky picking individual names in this sort of market. For disclosures, Akram is long Boeing, Zoom, Twitter, Juniper, and DocuSign, and I am long Discover Financial, VMware, and Twitter. Here we go. Akram. Happy Father's Day. Happy Juneteenth. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you? All right. So recording this on June 19th and market is fully in bear market mode. Officially, S&P crossed under the 20% threshold. I think the Dow has not dropped 20% from peak, but whatever. Everybody feels like this is a bear market. A lot of concern about inflation. The Fed hiked 75 basis points, which they had only leaked that they might do a couple of days before. I must be the only person who watched most of the Fed press conference and was like, okay, seems fine. Everybody else thinks Powell trashed his credibility, has no idea what's happening. A lot of focus on that. A lot of, you know, there, there's a there's some strand of like, this is ridiculous, this is overbought or oversold the market as a whole, but there's a lot of pessimism out there. Crypto over the weekend uh, fell out of bed on Saturday morning, down below the 20,000 threshold. I'm just looking at where it's it sort of popped today a little bit, but it's still under that 20,000 threshold. What are you, are you feeling apocalyptic over there? How's your, how, what's your take on where we are with the market right now? Uh, yeah, I'm definitely not apocalyptic. I mean, look, we definitely continue to have a lot of volatility, but I think there were some interesting things uh, that have been developing that are kind of going in the other direction. Um, I think we talked about uh, uh, the fertilizer complex. So you had uh, the first, the last two weeks, you know, broke this like 19 month streak of, you know, prices being up. Uh, consecutively, uh, you know, in uh, in the majority 
of uh, of the fertilizer comp. So you know, phosphate, uh, nitrogen, uh, potash, etc. Um, you had news out of uh, Nikkei Times on Samsung. Uh, you know, seeing some inventory builds and cutting semi component orders. So supply chain easing type of thing. Uh, auto OEMs been talking about they're comfortable now for the second half of the year. Uh, and then like some things just around that broader, like tying in with fertilizer and input costs and everything. Uh, you know, Brazil's like top storage facilities for fertilizer are full. A lot of people have kind of been focused on uh, Brazil running into running into problems, uh, particularly, you know, they're, they're the world's biggest uh, soybean producer and, and uh, the planting season's coming in, you know, August, September, and they get like, you know, over a quarter of their fertilizer. I mean, they import like 85%, but like they get over a quarter of their fertilizer from Russia. So... Uh, and you know another area where people are like you know food shortages and it's going to get worse. And uh, I, I was uh, read a call with uh, one of the the largest farm there, and they're like, you know, we're good. Uh, we've decided to, you know, not plant this year. We've done the testing; it's not going to impact yields. And, sorry, not apply uh, uh, fertilizer anymore. They haven't bought like uh, their nitrogen yet, and like these guys are managing like a lot of stuff with you know the using drones for the analysis so that like leveraging technology to just kind of improve efficiency uh substitution i mean there's a lot of stuff going on with uh, chicken litter right which tends to tick up when the synthetics go crazy uh so i mean these are all things that you know run counter to this whole inflation narrative and slow down uh I mean, we have, call it crosswinds, right? Like on one end, you've got you've got layoffs picking up. Uh, the like, let's call it the growthy ecosystem uh, is pulling back and they're trying to find a sustainable footing. Uh, <clears throat> Crypto is obviously going through uh, their version of a uh, crisis, you know, a mini, winter. A mini run. Winter yeah, is the official term. Yeah, winter. Uh, you know, they've got this 3AC, Celsius, uh, Luna already happened, you know, a bunch of just, you know, the, the froth there comes, shakes out like you would in the financial crisis, right? Like you find out uh, who was over levered, you know, who's doing like the, the effectively arbitrage type uh, uh, spread trades where uh, they're long the riskier asset and uh, they're short, the less risky. And like, that's been essentially the source of the extra yield they've been generating, <laughs> you know, and they're doing it, you know, with a lot of leverage, you know, ETH 2.0 is coming, the merge is happening. Uh, so let me uh, stake my ETH with X, Y, and Z pool and get a higher yield. Uh, and in return, I'm locked on that, you know, till the merge, which is an unknown date. Uh, and here you can have this, you know, SETH, which is freely tradable and it's convertible into ETH after the, you know, after the merge, it can be redeemed. But for now, you can trade it as you see fit and it trades at one to one, right? Like it shouldn't trade to one to one. Uh, 
but like it trades at one to one because the general view is it's, it's happening. There should be no discount. So like, well, why are you earning this this uh, high yield, <laughs> right? Uh, but, but like you know, you can't access it, you know, over the over the other end. That's like, I mean, we've seen these types of trades uh, in the in the risk arb space in the past. I mean, long term capital, you know, was really good at it. You know, uh, betting on spreads essentially to contract uh, and finding things like that. And, and and progressively gearing it up more and more and more, and then something happens that causes them to blow out. Um, then it was Russia devaluation, and triggers like a, a flight to liquidity. And here you've seen, you know, like the Fed tightening, uh, and like kind of blowing up uh, uh, this risk trade that had been on for, you know, all of COVID, and the economy is slowing at the same time. And it kind of reverberates. So, I mean, on one end, you've got this Fed who, who hikes 75 basis points and everybody talking about inflation and energy prices and gas and uh, airfare and, uh, you know, food prices and uh, the housing market. But, and then the other end, you have a bunch of stuff going on in the background, which is like showing you signs that uh, relief has started, right? And in, in some cases, maybe not relief, like potentially like, you know, uh, uh, like a, a deflationary uh, snapback, really, if you will, the cure for high prices being high prices, et cetera. Well, and that's, I think, what because let's set aside the leverage issue for a second. I think that's a separate question. The A lot of the positive news about supply chains easing or inventories being stored up, that whole sort of finicky ecosystem of the supply chain that's we've seen over the last 30 months or whatever that the question is how much of that is going to actually you put it you know how much of this is going to actually snap back and overshoot how much between the crosswind of the fed like how much i'll give you as an example i i didn't participate in this but um travel when we've talked about i know you closed your booking position. I actually just added to mine. I've been adding to mine around 2000 or below. And the question there, I was in an airport a week ago, totally packed. I know there are fewer planes, but just like totally a mess. Staffing, Amsterdam is one of the better airports, but they have runway issues, like all the you know perfect storm of just stuck in an airport, the wrong airport for six hours sort of thing. And I, and I saw a couple other people tweet this, like, oh my God, travel, like everybody wants to travel. They're going to put up with this. There's such hunger. I, I'm sure when you see people, I just went to a high school reunion and everybody's talking about all the trips they want to take. Like there's demand. On the other hand, the post had an article this week saying that already people are actually starting to, flight bookings are starting to drop. Washington Post, I mean, flight bookings are starting to drop, but you're seeing signs. And so what I'm saying is that your the supply chain may or may not be sorting itself out, but at the same time now demand that's all the Fed can really control, and they are actually crimping on demand. And so the question is, is this going to be just like a my t- my sense is, and I'm not you know in the Slack group there's somebody else espousing this as well. Like my sense is there could be a sort of recession in name and like things are going to correct, but it does seem like people are still spending and especially if this inflation trend goes in the right direction, like 
I don't think we're in so bad a shape, but I guess that's the question is how much to balance the like crosswinds and the potential of another overshoot, just like we've had over the last, over the whole I mean, COVID you, period. You had a good example the last week, right? Like on Thursday, airlines came down, booking got hammered, right? Uh, all the travel uh, uh, booking sites did it as well. And uh, then on Friday, you know, oil drops and all these things bounce, right? And like, you don't want to, you, you don't want to get on this whole like back and forth, like, okay, oil's dropping. Uh, and I need to buy this stuff. Like the underlying uh, uh, commodity equities have been coming down. Like, I mean, Mosaic, you know, hit 80, it's 50, right? So you've had a pullback, but you haven't had really like, and soft commodities are, you know, a little bit of a lagger, but same thing to a degree with deliveries around, around um, energy commodities, like there's a component in, in, in the current contract month where everybody's really, really, really long, right? And like your sweet spot in theory, if you're like a long-term commodity bull is equities come off. And then there's finally that first big drop in the underlying commodity because people usually are chasing, you know, the ratio of them together, right? And like, I, I do think that we have this like tailwind without question, you know, in travel, right? And they'd outperformed. So like, I was having this conversation with someone just regarding energy. Like if you bought a bunch of energy stocks, you know, instead of shorting, let's say uh, SaaS or clouded or FinTech or crypto or whatever, uh, uh, e-commerce in, in October, right? Like, let's just say you bought like the least risky one, Exxon. You went up 100%, and then like a lot of these stocks fell 80%, right? So like you probably would have been happy if you were up like 40%, and uh, everybody who was in this other, uh, you know, last 10 year trade uh, was flat, right? Uh, like when the when the spread widened so drastically in a short time period, you know, like you start getting these like relative performance headwinds, and. I mean, that was what was, we've talked about it with booking multiple times. That was what was driving me crazy with it. Uh, you know, like it, you have a $3,000 price target, you know, uh, last year and you get damn close to it. But like your $3,000 price target was within the context of, uh, you know, like looking around outside at everything else and being like, yeah, okay. Like that's, these things are insane. I can't touch them. Uh, and I'm not saying that this thing should trade anywhere near like something crazy, but like, I like what's happening in the business. Well run, blah, 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 blah. And I have tailwinds next year. These guys all have headwinds, right? So I'm going to, you know, it's going to go from 2000 to 3000. And that's like Facebook's like at 350, right? Like by the time Facebook is at 270, 280, you're still not really thinking too much about it. But like when it's at 150, right? Uh, like you start being, you start looking at your thesis and saying, all right, like 2022 momentum just into the summer is not good enough for me. Right. And like, as you're pointing out, there's pricing does come off notably if you're actually looking to book airfare uh, more so than average. Uh, if you're going out past uh, this like summer season, right. Like you get into September, October and like there are consumption headwinds. The airfare is more expensive. You know, everybody's got like got like a bit of a discretionary punch, pinch, and then you've got the lagging dynamics, right? Like layoffs have started. Like you're not it doesn't change your life uh, 
in the first 60 days, you know, but like, this is something that is, is going to play itself out and it's going to be persistent for a little while. Like you're not doing a, 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 like a reverse 180, right? Uh, from here. So uh, like, and you have valuations, like, so like booking looked really good. Like, I mean, I had Anthony on Spaces talking about, uh, you know, Expedia at a 20% free cash flow yield. So I then I once spent time on Expedia being like, they really got that cheap. And there's just dynamics with it from a working capital standpoint, because they collect the cash up front, right? And you have this huge surge here. So you have to actually look at that and normalize. Uh, much much lesser extent on uh, on uh, on booking. But like, if you actually look at Expedia, you can sit there and say, like, it's conceivable there's, like, there's no, like one, that the actual free cash flow generation uh, is, is gonna be, less than a 20% yield of this price, maybe 15. And that like, they don't, they're not free cash. They, they don't grow free cash flow for the next three years, right? Like you could, you could look at it with that. You could just say it's flattish. I mean, over five, six, 7%, like you got to get more into the nuance of, uh, of the competitive space evolving, you know, with Airbnb and everything else that's gone on. But like, it's not that easy, but at the same time, when it trades there, you have to start thinking about, you know, what's like, how good is the booking opportunity, right? And like, there's, I mean, there's just so much of that that I think has gone on in that, in this market, which you, you didn't really have to worry about before, right? And that brings you to like the, the, stuff, the stuff that's been wrecked, you know, the, you know, down 70, 80%. Uh, and you just start saying, yeah, I'm not expecting uh, much, but if if I'm if I'm looking at February to July of neck of 2023 as being like flattish to down year over year of CPI, right? Uh, because the auto thing will unwind. Uh, uh, th there's going to be relief on the food side, and and then uh, there's relief on the housing side. You put all these things together and you just say like, all right, like if energy is just flat, it's fine. If energy prices drop 20%, like you're going to have some pretty negative uh, 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 inflation readings. You know, they're going to be deflationary. And if that's going to be the case, and like you see like someone like uh, Ark and Dust Kathy Wood, you know, she's just waiting for <laughs> to, to come out and get to say, all right, buy these stocks again, because that's gone, right? The the problem that you that, that that was going on, the Fed got it wrong, right? Like she actually had a tweet today where she called it draconian, right? In terms of uh, the uh, rate of increase, yeah, yeah. So like, I mean, I don't think that there's a reason for them to deviate, but like, if 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 you see crude twenty five dollars lower, okay, and we get that first negative, like unemployment report i bet a negative unemployment non-farm report at some point and the initial reaction in the market uh will be to sell it and then people and then like you'll be like why are the SaaS stocks up <laughs> right what what's uh, let me stop you on energy specifically because we were you kind of in the in the slack room you were talking about how 
you thought it was pretty predictable that energy would would have air go out of it, specifically the price of oil. And that's, I think it's, you know, oil. Look, every single time anyone gets into the space, they talk supply and demand, right? Yes. But like, you actually have to consider what what is what is financial speculation? They will tell you there isn't much, right? But like, come on, like, look at the performance. Everyone starts chasing it. You know, there are groups that now call themselves a mafia just dedicated to it, right? Like it becomes, like, I, I can tell you, I talk to people on the buy side, everyone's looking for at energy ideas, right? You know, for the book. People are tired of trying to fuck with, uh, you know, we're, uh, X, Y, and Z tech stock and like thinking it's found a bottom and then like they're down 30%, you know? I mean, take, take, take my experience with DocuSign, right? So like, there's, there's an element of that. Uh, like you got, you're going to have earnings season starting soon after, uh, after the fourth and you're going to have people, you know, who are going to be pounding the table on, you know, credit card data on Netflix being negative, uh, and, uh, that they're going to miss on subscribers and like, everyone's going to want to lean into this thing that they've been leaning into. And it's like, all right, but like, we're kind of probably close to bottom on some of these trends, uh, for the ones who've really taken it on the chin. I'm not saying it turns in the next month or two, but like once you get to September, October, uh, like they all have easy comps and then you're going to have these like deflationary type of, uh, prints, uh, uh, you know, on, uh, uh, on CPI. Right. And like, I mean, you're going to have a bunch of companies that went, had bookings go from like 50% to like flat. Right. Uh, that are lapping that. And like, you know, they're in a better situation. There's a bunch of companies that have like, you know, we've talked about Juniper, there's stuff in the networking space where like, if you like the business and you like where they're at and like, you haven't seen like any COVID dynamic to it. Uh, now that they have uh, semiconductor uh, easing, you know, they're not going to tell you that in my opinion. Uh, I, don't, I don't think many of them will come out boldly and state it, it, it when they report in July. But, you know, by September, you're definitely going to see it in the numbers, right? So like, you know, all these things are happening and, you know, people want to be kind of tuned in on Russia, Ukraine, and, uh, you know, this market's going to be tight and it's going to continue. And, and, and like, well, I mean, it doesn't look like it because if you're looking forward, you know, you're going to pass the summer, like splurge season. There's other variables. You could say China picks up, right? Like, and they provide a bit uh, uh, of a demand boost at the margin. Uh, there's there's other things, but like it's going to be rolling, right? Like layoffs are picking up, uh, things are changing, but that actually might be a better environment for some stocks. But sorry, I cut you off. What were you no, saying? no, no. I was I I didn't have a comment yet. Um, yeah, I think I mean one one way maybe I'm sort of trying to think about this. First of all, is I'm wondering how you feel the current. This is a lazy peg from a market perspective because it was the last time we were, you know, March, April 2020, where we hit a bear market and then don't bounce literally that second, but it takes three months to get back to the prior peak. And in that case, there was the CARES Act, there was the Fed saying we're going to do whatever it takes in whatever language they specifically used. This time around, you're if i you'll correct me if i'm characterizing or caricaturing but 
this you're sounding like, okay, like it's, it's easy to just kind of keep getting on the same side of the boat, but if everybody's already on that side of the boat, you should watch out whether it's energy, whether it's piling on to these high growth stocks that have already dropped 80% or whatever, but also like it's not part of what I think might be happening is with such a weird period, like this could just be normal stuff, right? Like this could be, we're talking about a period where a lot of the companies that are putting in hiring freezes or layoffs are companies that expanded dramatically in the last couple of years. Um, I don't really know what's happening with Amazon specifically. I haven't read the articles. I saw the headline about them running out of people to hire, but then also we've seen that they don't have that their employees don't seem to have enough to do in certain places. I know there, I know people in Amazon and Europe, I know they're hiring a ton, but it's just still, but anyway, the point is like, this is, could just be natural. What's the Schumpeter phrase, natural corporate destruction or whatever, like natural, natural selection. It, there's a weeding it out. It's natural selection, but there's a, a creative destruction, I think, or creative some destruction. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I you. yeah, it's it, like that could be, you know, and the Fed is in theory a catalyst for that, but it's just, you know, we've had a wild time of it in terms of the shifting winds. And so it's not surprising that things are going to shift. And it's again, we should be, I guess that's, I'm getting at that the message seems to be again, be cautious about just assuming that what's worked the last two months is going to work the next two, let alone the next year. Look, I think you've been in a volatile environment where it's just like, you're rotating from one thing to the next in terms of weeding it out, right? Cash is essentially the best performer. Well, you know, shorting is the best performer than cash, right? So like when you think about it from that dynamic, it's like no surprise things are being given back because everybody, we saw this hurting in in, in a way, right? Like uh, once things started going wrong in the United States, a lot of hedge funds just started, you know, doubling down on you know the the brick commodity trade right it's like we, they don't have this problem it's a secular china you know brazil india story right and that's what like you know resulted in that blow off pop in oil uh potash uh you know like things went crazy i mean i still remember talking to a fund uh that like there was one that i talked to where you know the thesis had just become like china and india have to eat right? Like it gets lazy at the end of it. And uh, you're like, all right, but like, you know, the price of this agricultural product has changed like threefold, like, you know, farmers can skip a year in potash. Like, have you started like looking into how this is working and like what's happening in volumes? But there was even a point in time where there was, where like urea prices in Europe started to fall off a cliff. People were still doubling down, you know, on the GCC players because they had subsidized natural gas bonds. Right. So it's like, oh, it doesn't really matter if you're paying, you know, 90 cents per MMBTU. Uh, if there's like a, you know, 15, 20% drop in natural gas uh, and it, you know, flows through uh, and the European uh, urea prices falling off. It's like, no, that's not how it works. Right. Like it's a global market. So, like, if the actual underlying commodity uh, for the people who are using it, you know, starts to see demand headwinds then like there's a financial reversal of, of the loop right like people start exiting you're left with nobody to sell to right 
Like I was having this conversation with a friend last week where I'm like, look, it's a duration traded in commodities. If you're like really bullish and you believe, uh, let's say oil stays above 80 for several years, right? Like you're not deploying more capital here. You know, I mean, I'm not saying like here the last few days, but like, like, you know, two weeks ago, right? You're not looking to deploy more capital. You've had ridiculous outperformance. So like, if you believe it's close to there, then you should think that like, as the market kind of tops out from a momentum standpoint on anything shortage, the equities will roll over. Okay. Like when I say roll over, like, you know, have a 20, have a correction and, you know, their version of a correction of bull market. And they'll do that before the commodity prices fall, the underlying. And then the commodity prices will fall and everybody will be like, this is vindicating it. And like the first half of that commodity fall, you know, the equities will trade with them. But then the second half, they won't, right? So you like kind of split it into two. And that's where like the, like the fundamental investor comes in, right? Because at that point, you're like, yeah, you are still comfortable being long X, Y, and Z if prices were 40% lower, okay? Like you're, you're happy with 80 a barrel for the next two years. You know, you're happy with debt prices at 650, okay? You don't need 1100. So uh, when it comes, when they come back down, and you may be pretty close to that with some of these, right? Like, you know, you start, you start forecasting it, but like your downside is like, you really fall off a cliff. You go through a short-term time period where everything went from really uh, seemingly super shortage to oversupply, right? And that's where it's hard to distinguish in commodity markets between like what is fun fundamentals and what became crowding because every hedge fund was like, oh, Bear Stearns failed. This is happening here. They're breaking out the bazooka. You know, I'm just going to go, uh, you know, long uh, EM and frontier markets because well, they're not exposed to this. That, that, so I, earlier I said there were two things in sort of your first set of comments that I thought were interesting. And one I think was the, we've already covered. And then the other was the idea of contagion, right? And that's where the crypto piece, right? You have all the, you know, whatever's happening. Uh, again, it's stabilizing after what's been a really rough go of it and crypto never stops. So who knows where it goes next in whichever direction. But like, that's the other thing. I think it's so natural for us to extrapolate from the current. And so you see, you know, what's happening. You just assume it will continue to happen. I'm not going to, I'm not trying to get into a debate about crypto itself, but just do you like in a system like this with leverage or with whatever else, like, do you worry, do you think about the idea that let's, let's say crypto is pretty much exact is a beta version of the NASDAQ, but then if everybody who's in crypto is losing money, that may compound on itself. And all of a sudden that takes out more of the market. And if that happens- It does hit some of the conspicuous consumption. I was talking to a friend in Dubai, they're so happy, right? <laughs> they're like, these guys have been, you know, booking hotels, the suites, uh, you know, every table at the best restaurants, right? Like they're just burning cash. You want to buy a car, you want to buy anything luxury. So like, it's a deflationary force in, in some areas. Like it's probably not good news for Miami, right? <laughs> Real estate. It's it's probably not good for Dubai real estate, right? So, like, if you, if you think about places where uh, crypto has has run super hot and uh, they've bid up the market, you know, on on uh, this you know wealth creation that they've seen, right? And then overnight it disappears. 
I'm not getting into like the stories of I lost my life savings and all this. You know, there's a lot of that now. People are, are finding that I'm putting them up and I thought it was safe and I'm suing and et cetera. Because some, like a, 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 like a huge percentage of it wasn't real, but like there's bank runs going on in the space, right? Like, like DeFi is going to be exposed to the same dynamics as CeFi. If, 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 they're, if they're paying higher yields to the incumbent system, and the cost of capital, you know, goes up really quickly in a short time period. You find out who really didn't have anything other than cheap money and some sort of risk that you weren't discounting. And you know, the Celsius example is a really good one. Luna is a really good one. A lot of people in crypto. I mean, you know, between Axie and Luna being the two that I, I had focused on, right? A lot of things in crypto were kind of transparent. Like you had a very good idea what could go wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think the question, I wonder if the people who actually were, how many people understood that on the inside? Because it's easy for, at least for me to say it as somebody who's been skeptical all along. And then when you're without, yeah, but what, like when you read about Celsius, when you read about Luna and you're trying to, and, you know, in Celsius case, they're advertising a 17% APR literally the day before they, halt withdrawals it was like uh yeah it did seem pretty obvious and yet lots of people were still involved um but yeah what you're talking about is that the contagion the lambo purchasing may be going down but the impact on sort of day-to-day lives is a little bit less uh maybe less conspicuous and less less of a risk to the broader economy yeah, I don't see it as a broader economy risk. Like, the, you know, that's actually the good thing about it. Uh, I see it as, high, as highly localized. Look, I mean, when people look at it too, like there's a lot of people who've been going crazy. We, I mean, we've had some fun with it over this weekend, but it's more so from actually, and we don't want to get into a crypto debate, like debating the, like what gets some of these people into it and their thinking and like, why, like, why are you a gold bug effectively speaking, right? Uh, and like, did you realize that, like, instead of talking to me about technology and thermodynamics and like, you know, like understand the techno libertarian element that you're involved with here, uh, uh, you know, Austrian economics and, and views on, on, on money. But like, when you look at like Bitcoin, you know, Saylor was, uh, was doing an interview and he's like essentially pointing out that it's relatively outperformed, right? It's like, if you look since 2000, uh, since 2020, you know, when I started with this, like single family home is this, I couldn't have bought several billion single family homes. Uh, so I ruled that out and, and I've still outperformed that. I've outperformed the S&P, I've outperformed the NASDAQ. Like you can dunk on, on Bitcoin down 60%, you know, in a short time period, but like Target's down 55%, you know, Netflix is down 66% over a year, like over 75% and you know, the last seven, eight months. And uh, there's a whole list, you know, Disney's down over 50, right? Uh, Goldman and uh, what's it called uh, are down, Microsoft, you know, are down 35, you know, percent plus, right? So like, uh, it's really been uh, a, a broad sweep across equities. And then there was like kind of that divergence, you know, with commodities. And like they've been giving back relative performance as like the rest of them have just gone lower and that gap has gotten super wide. And you're not, you know, now kind of at a point where like 
you know, some people are like, oh, you know, uh, I'm sure there's people who look at Bitcoin like, should I buy it, whatever. But like, I mean, if it's out, if, it, if it's outperformed that much in this time period, you probably shouldn't, right? Like, like Sailor is essentially giving you a short thesis, like you know, look at it at ten thousand or whatever, or like consider that like if it doesn't go down anymore, like you'll probably make some money in Peloton or something, <laughs> you know what? Right? Like that's the way you 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 got to think about these things at this point. Like once once things diverge so drastically, but I mean there is a bunch of stuff going on that like we're, we, we like we can't necessarily discount very accurately at this point. Like uh, I don't know like how many you know like if you're in Zoom, I don't know like how many seats are going to be lost. Uh, uh, you know, for Microsoft or Zoom or whatever, uh, from these tech layoffs, that's a laggard, right? There's a bunch of stuff that like is still going to be around as a as a bit of a headwind uh, that you're going to be cycling through for the next six months with the layoffs. So uh, the advertising market's going through like it's you know cutbacks. Like I mean, if Twitter actually had to. Uh, you know, guide. I mean, they kind of gave you like an indication of potential headwinds uh, that they're facing, right? And that everybody else is facing in that space. So, like, it's unclear yet, like, when growth resumes there. Uh, but like, you are taking a view that like we don't have a we don't have a financial system panic breakdown, which I don't think that there's any reason to think is the case. You know, very different than 08 in a short-term basis, like I'd say 08 was great to be in tech as it came down with like, you know, a bank panic, right? Because you were set up for the next 10 years. I'd say here, tech has blown up. It's like similar to 2000, 2001, but like, and you may not end up seeing anything close to the performance over the next five years. But if we're thinking over the next 12 months, right? Like it gets more constructive for them because it has been a major drop in a very short time period. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people are more keyed in on the idea that some either that inflation continues to stay or that higher interest rates as a rule are going to make for headwinds in that front. But, and what I was thinking, as you're saying, that was the, there are still a lot of expensive companies that are not in tech explicitly that are still kind of, you know, the big winners. I didn't look at Visa and MasterCard, but I'm sure they're still pretty fully valued. They dropped like 25%. Like they're still not cheap. Like, I mean, look, a lot of the tech stuff isn't cheap, right? Yeah. Uh, Like if, 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 if rates don't go up notably more, but they just stay here, right? Like it's still going to work itself out into a headwind over time. Like that's, that's another thing to think about. Like, and if you actually believe that there's more shortages and underinvestment in commodities, like after we go through this initial period of, of like, uh, you know, uh, uh, high prices, you know, the, uh, being the cure for high prices, like you're going to get back to kind of the fundamentals again. And like that outperformance, you know, could could resume for several years and the underperformance in some of tech, you know, could resume. You got to be thinking about that. Yeah. So I was, to me, I was looking today before we started, I was trying to sort of recheck my portfolio, kind of 
give myself a sense valuation wise and just how I'm feeling sort of from my qualitative understanding on different names. And I've got, I finally dumped some of my weakest names, which I should have dumped long ago and uh, including both of them actually stitch fix and just eat takeaway, which we've talked. Oh, really? You got, you got a stitch fix. Yeah. I mean, I, I had already, yeah, I just, uh, do lost confidence in the sort of the, the strategic direction wasn't very clear and the growth, um, you know, I mean, they're like cycling through negative growth and I just don't get a huge sense that they really know what the path back is to a solid, interesting little company. So could, could have been a sell at the bottom, but it just felt like they lost the way. And so I have, you know, I'm down to a little, I think I have like 21 names now, which is still a lot, I guess, but it's where I'm comfortable. And I have like two of them are Twitter and VMware, which are both merger arbs at this point, one way or the other. Um, and so I'm trying to scour, like, I feel like, okay, I'm in a position where I have a large cash position, like 30% or so. And that's sort of, I always have that large, but more or less, but so I'm now like trying to look and like, see like, what's a legitimately, what's a company that will is cheaply valued, has been growing and looks like it should still grow. And that's sort of the mindset I'm taking into this market. And I keep stumbling on in different screens and then looking through companies related to like home building, which everybody's expecting a recession for um, with the rise of mortgage rates. So in all of these cases, there's an obvious reason home building or construction or uh, financials look interesting too. I mean, I bought more of discover financial, for example, uh, of a couple of times in the last week or two. Um, I don't know. So that, that's sort of how I like respond. I, I, I take, I think where I'm echoing your line is that it's, I don't think that this is like some early 2008 climate. It just seems like there's a little bit of over extrapolation and there was a necessary correction, a lot of things, but it's still not a totally target rich environment yet, I think. And I guess I'm just curious as you're sort of stepping back from all of that, like what, where are you finding it useful to be doing work? Where are you finding it interesting to be kind of sniffing around? We're, we're, we're like, you know, I, 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 the semiconductor thing has made me pay attention to networking. I, you know, I rotated the, the booking into Boeing. Uh, you know, there was some good news on them last week. Uh, China's testing the plane. They, they did the test flight, China Southern uh, for the MAX. And, and uh, you know, supposedly some, some green shoots on the regulatory front. Uh, so stuff that kind of like, you know, if you, if you actually start to think benign environment, like you want something where things are going to get notably better, uh, you have a secular thesis that you like and the valuation is appealing, you know, and there's, you know, there's, uh, like if you can tick those boxes, uh, I mean, people get so used to like, we've gone from two extremes, right? Like Burr and, uh, YOLO and, uh. You know, like the fun speculation and memeing and whatever to like everything down and like every bit space being like economy's fucked where, you know, layoffs and inflation and, and whatever. Like if you just end up with with now like kind of a, a benign environment, 
for like six months, right? Like you can actually go back to like stock picking and being like, all right, like these guys don't have these headwinds. Uh, I, I like the space before and like there are now some goodness coming out of uh, the supply chain. And, uh, you know, I can spend time on this company and I'm confident in uh, uh, my thesis or, you know, like stuff like a Zoom where you're like, all right, they're going to, you know, you don't have to be in uh, uh, some crazy 50% compounding case. You you think it's 15, 20% undervalued and you like what's going on competitively. Uh, like that's stuff you spend time on, right? Like, uh, and you can, you can start to feel good about the, uh, you know, investing again and not being like having to keep such a close eye on things because they're just such huge swings. Right. And like you said, like, you know, with you buying booking below 1900 or whatever, like once you put like once stuff like gets in there, like you recalibrate, right? Like uh, it can also work the other way. I mean, I will tell you, like maybe you have to spend some time figuring out whether you should buy Expedia or like what do you like? What's your thesis? Uh, does it need to be you know adjusted? Uh, but you can also start thinking about things that like you know there's easy comps ahead. There's going to be uh, you know pe- the people who've been growthy. You know, once the first bad employment number and uh, uh, once, you know, oil has its first, you know, 20% drop, right? They're going to be like, see, transitory, no more, no more rate hikes. And, uh, you know, uh, they'll be trying to argue for kind of like a Goldilocks environment now because valuations have come down ridiculously. Uh, You no longer have, uh, you know, uh, the, the interest rate headwind ahead of you and you can start buying good companies for the long term again. <laughs> it's, you know, but I like I've been keyed in on a the Twitter special situation, which definitely should benefit if things are stable, right? Because that's still rise that's still exposed to this, you know, financing risk environment and like uh, the however he feels more with respect to pressure uh with his, uh, based on like the reset in valuations and how much he's overpaying and trying to get a little bit less, you know, trying to get his discount. So I think uh, if you, if you, if you've got certain things you like and like something like Boeing, that's kind of been in its own universe of problems. Right. I mean, once the CEO is making the rounds like this week, talking about uh, 3 trillion in, in China demand over the next two decades and that he's never seen a, never seen a, a, a robust environment for, for airplanes like this you know in his in his career uh i mean i would discount that somewhat but like yeah you know what i'm saying yeah yeah it's, he's raising the audience costs a little bit and so presumably he's got some he's got a reason to think he can deliver on that especially given their credibility challenges of the last few years yeah, and then if there's like if there's a drop in something that has been really outperforming and like you've been like you know not willing to pull the trigger but you're now getting uh, you're getting a little bit more comfortable with it uh like uh like oil or fertilizer right like you can start to buy a little bit you know but you don't have to be in this whole type of thing where because they've pulled the equities have pulled back so like you don't have to be in this you know it's a crowded trade in one direction do I need to sell it immediately right like that's been the part of the problem that's going on. Like you, you buy something, it falls 30% if it's in one area or you short it. And if it's another area, like you buy it and you're like, okay, I'm gonna, I like this business, but I want to have a long-term and rallies 30%. Uh, 
right? And then you have to start thinking about whether or not like it rallied 30% and this other name dropped 30% and like there's too much choice. So a, a stable uh, macro environment would be, would be great. When I say stable, like we're not talking about something great. I'm just saying that like stable between what we have had for the last nine months. We've been, we've gone from one end of the pole to the other. Something about what you said, I was going to respond to, and then I, I lost my thread on that. But uh, what if what if it's not like what if inflation sticks? Like I guess that's the sort of other shoe here, or what, or some other. Well, so group. like I struggle with that one. I like, but you should think about that, right? So like if you're, I don't know. There's obviously people out there who may be like you know, the shortages will continue, Russia, etc. Uh, winter will come. Europe is going to be really in trouble, and. Uh, uh, so many more things and that like you can only delay you know applications and, and uh, fertilizer for so long and uh, uh, you know another year of, of Ukraine being in this situation well, the food shortages will be more pronounced like yeah I mean you can work your way back to uh, th that type of thesis but at the margin we have stuff that is signaling deflation right so like you have supply chain uh, shipping uh, semiconductors, like you, know, you go from Intel CEO saying, you know, 2024 minimum to like, uh, it, it's over already, right? In, 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 in many areas, and freight, right? Like, I was looking at Danos again to see whether or not you want to like, and what's been going on with Zim. And you're just like, ah, I'm not so sure, like, you want to step in here yet. Even though, uh, the yields look good and uh, things are positioned well. And then they definitely have, you know, they've got time chargers for the next three years, but like, you don't have to say, all right, like how much of the, how much capital is going to be going and replacing the fleet? And what, what am I dealing with here? What's the cost of capital, right? Like if I'm thinking about rates, you know, uh, at this level or higher for the next five years, you know, it starts changing the equation. So there's a lot of that type of, I think, uh, uh, going on but like we have relief i mean like you know oil could i mean I, like it would be very shocking if it was notably higher in three months and in six months because i can't see how you get there like we're just saying like travel eases off uh there's layoffs right like we've kind of like it's taking care of itself you know inventory builds merchandise uh you know phosphate whatever etc you know from a target to a farmer you're seeing these things so who knows yeah i what i was gonna say earlier was the i didn't do a lot of buying in march april or even may 2020 one of the names i added just sort of as a I know it's a good, well-run company. I used to have it in my portfolio before, and I had to sell it when I was buying my apartment. It was Honeywell. And I just said, all right, screw it. I'm going to buy Honeywell at 125 bucks, which is actually below where I sold it a few years earlier. And I was just checking now to see, like, I haven't, you know, it's still a fully valued stock now and whatever. I'm not like an expert on it's got exposures to aerospace, defense, chemicals, et cetera. But it, I looked and actually it's done pretty nicely against the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ since May, 2020. And that's sort of where I feel 
there should be names out there that are strong companies, not crazy valued, like, you know, we said Visa or like a Moody's and also not huge questions around it. I think you made that point well, what we did the space this weekend on Netflix and the company just not quite sure what's happening. Target to me now feels like that bucket where they just don't seem to have quite a handle on what's going on. And so it's hard to say where it's worth stepping in, but like, it does feel like to me, there should be some, we should be at a point now where there are enough companies that on a longer term horizon, you can get comfortable with, even if this isn't the bottom per se. So. Yeah, I'm in, I agree with you. Like it's uh, like, it's been a horrible environment to focus on individual names. Yeah. You know, like everything is one way. Jam and ball posted, uh, you know, the top 10 SaaS stocks, right. And like CrowdStrike and then like the, the next nine and like their performance year to date. And it was top like by uh, multiple or by performance. Yeah. Top, top highest uh, multiple stocks. Yeah. And uh, what's, what's been uh, their performance year to date and like CrowdStrike, you know, is only down 20. And then the other nine are like within like, you know, two, two percentage points of each other. <laughs> they look like the same stock as they should. <laughs> it's, because essentially they've just been like people have been just trading them on these things, but like that's where like you you, you can actually now look at it like okay these nine things have done the same thing, uh, they all trade roughly the same multiple. Like is there one in there that I actually like better, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Like versus like the people who are buying you know you know all ten. Right. Yeah. Which, you know, in a sector you don't know as well is an interesting approach. But yeah, if you have any sort of differentiation. Well, it was just, it was like unanimous, right? Like everyone's just like, each one of these is like the best and what, what like their sub-segment. And they, they, they felt, they fell in love with it. <laughs> That's what a long, long and furious bull market will do to you. Um, but yeah, a quiet, a quiet rest of the summer would be nice. Okay. Seems like a fair. Well, why don't we end on that? That wish for a quiet rest of the summer, though, would be. Uh, I mean, you know, we're gonna get at least one more Fed meeting, and probably, and almost surely a hike, and we'll see what happens with the job numbers and the all those macro bits and the next earning. I, we, we'll talk before next earning season. I guess that's gonna be an interesting, um, interesting story to watch. The. Uh, the other Daniel has been talking quite a bit about how low expectations are for next earnings season, which I, I, I don't know that estimates are really coming down all that much, but sort of on the buy side. It's definitely yeah. negative. Yeah. Right? Like I yeah. Don't, I, I, nobody's expecting anything good out of advertising. Uh, nobody's expecting anything good out of streaming. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. like that's where you're kind of Netflix uh, and these things get complicated. It's like, all right, like you can make a case from a valuation standpoint that it should drop another 35%, you know, but like, uh, do you really want to discount like, you know, the trends of the last, uh, you know, three months uh, as uh, the the redefining of the of the thesis for the next three years, right? I mean, you're at a new one, but like, you know, you you now have people talking about subscriber subscriber growth, you know, going really negative. 
when I say really negative, like losing subscribers, you know, in, in developed markets. Right. And I'm saying like, not like on a, a little bit here and there, but like for, for like for years to come, like that they're overpenetrated. Yeah. Which runs counter to the idea that there's password sharing seats to pick up and so on. And I mean, it's, it exists to a certain degree. You can disagree with them calling it 30 million, for example, and you can. But, you know, if you think they're going to go from 75 million uh, to 50 million subs, uh, yeah, the stock is a short. <laughs> yeah. Right. But like if, if, if they're sitting here saying that, like, we're trying to address because the password sharing is just like the other end of ARPU, right? So if there, if it's if, if if it's more meaningful, then there's more ARPU upside, right? If you're gonna have more subs, then you're gonna argue that like you can have a lower ARPU. Like if they believe that that's the equation here, uh, and to get more individual people to be paying, you know, the entry price or or fourteen dollars or whatever. Uh, then raising the price on like one account that has like a bunch of users and uh, a bunch of households and worrying that like that one person cancels and like i mean it should naturally resolve itself because if that one person cancels and there's three households using it it's possible you 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 net at right? right because there's been two people who've been watching netflix for years and not paying for it Right. And to your potentially suggesting their propensity to pay is at a lower price, which is where the balance comes in. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's say Netflix. I'm sure yep. we'll get to it again. Yeah, but I don't want, we don't want to talk about it, that anymore. Netflix and Zoom. I'm too tired. <laughs> Right. So well, we wishes for a quiet summer where I, that we will be posting this right on the first day of summer, I think. So, yep. That's that's a good good call. So, all right, good stuff, Akram. All right, bro. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Razor's Edge. Subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at, at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor with suggestions, requests, or anything else. We aim to publish this every Tuesday morning, and love to hear from you. If you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really be grateful as that will help the podcast grow and improve. This has been a Short Man Studios production. Our theme song is Move On by Soquel. Thank you for listening and see you next week.